Hey everyone, and welcome to an original series, a special episode with me, Patch, and the guy on the other side of the country and the screen, my best friend and co-host Aaron. What's up, man? Hey, hey. For them, it's probably been just a week. For us, it's been like a month since we've talked Invincible. Yeah, so <laughs> we say this a lot when I when I podcast with Adam because we definitely have had gaps between episodes. And so it's funny to be like, oh, yeah, we're just getting right back into it when it's been like six weeks. So it's been yeah, but it's it's been a minute since we talked Invincible. And I'm grateful that we finished season one before getting into this one shot episode entitled uh, Invincible, Invincible, Invincible Atom Eve. I know that you and I wanted to talk about it. And uh, it's a nice little segue before we officially get into season two at a later date, which I know I'm excited to dive into that. I know you are as well. But, Mm -hmm. you know. It's no secret if you've been listening to this particular series uh, in our conversation that Eve holds a special place in Aaron's heart. And he mentioned this to me about midway through our our coverage that, hey, there's a one shot. We should talk about it or at least watch it because I think it's pretty good. At least I hope it's pretty good because neither of us had seen it. So and and this is going to be kind of a, a loose conversation since it's just one episode. So more like open feel and film discussion for all you folks that, that like the breakdown. We're not really doing that for this one. But I wanted to really kind of open up our talk with asking, you know, what did you think as someone who likes an Eve centric episode? Did this hit all the notes for you? First of all. I do have a crush on Adam Eve, and I miscalculated my interest in this. I, I subconsciously knew this was an Adam Eve origin story, but my brain didn't compute that by being an origin story, we were going to basically have a toddler and 12-year-old Samantha for the majority of this episode. So <laughs> didn't do a lot on the crush front. Uh, I'll put it that way. It was a different experience. It was much more of like a nurturing parental kind of feeling going around. <laughs> did you feel a little awkward? Episode. Yeah, I did. I, I don't know if I'm going to have quite the same attachment once we restart in season two, now that I have experienced this time with her. Well, okay. So just for pure transparency, did you get kind of the Marty McFly, his mom having a crush on him from like 19? Did you get that kind of weird vibe? Like, yeah. It's like yeah, kissing exactly. my brother, that kind of thing. Okay. <laughs> That's exactly kind of how it went. Yeah. But uh, mostly, I really did enjoy it. I thought it was just nice to get to spend time with one of our other primary characters or someone that I guess would be one of maybe the top supporting character uh, as far as in Mark's life and get to know about her. And there were some, I don't know if I would use the word twists and turns, but there were some surprises as to her backstory that I certainly did not expect. Well, I was the same way. And as someone who loves a good origin story, it's interesting to kind of anticipate what you would expect from something like this. I did wonder after the fact, will we get other origin stories? Will we get a Rexplode origin story? Will we get a robot origin story? I don't think so because these aren't as front and center of characters and they don't necessarily connect as well. It would be interesting. And I think we get a little bit of robot backstory in the latter part of season one. But for me, 
I, I was really entertained overall by this episode. I thought it was a great one shot in terms of having a start, middle, end. We didn't have to necessarily have connecting pieces, although there may be some things from this episode that sort of play into. Um, there were some things that I saw in the episode that I would like to have seen throughout season one as little Easter eggs, like little visuals that really, oh yeah, yeah. I remember, you know, from, from your origin story, there's that. But overall, man, it, it hit all the right notes for me. It was something that it wasn't too long. It said what it needed to say. And we got a lot of good information and a lot of good entertainment. I appreciate the fact that we don't have to have a continuation of this, that we get everything that I think we need. We get motivation. We get literal origins. We get kind of even down to like costumes and things like that. And it's fun to find out that stuff without feeling like, man, do we have to have like two more episodes to really flesh out getting to the present day? And I, I didn't feel that way with this one. Yeah, I didn't either. You're right. It's a perfect one shot, which is what I'm sure it was in the comics, too, which is why it's done like this in the yeah. TV show. I would <laughs> yeah. I would imagine there's a, a comic that does the same thing. Um, and I know we're not going in order like we normally do, but I, I did really enjoy that this kicked off with getting to see the Guardians of the Globe. Is that what they're called? Because yeah. I, I keep wanting to go, the Guardians of the Galaxy just rolls off the top. Not the Fast but, Five? Uh, Is that the new Guardians? No. <laughs> what did I call them? Oh, yeah, that's right. But uh, we got to see my guy, Aquarius. I was yeah. so pumped because we, we only got him for like one episode previously. And I just thought it was kind of neat to do that. And then we got cameos, too, in that section. I don't know if you noticed them, but I thought it was... I was almost a little let down because the cameos were so brief because they were fighting this group called the Lizard League. The leaders of the Lizard League were a, a queen uh, played by Tatiana Maslany and a prince played by Jacob Tremblay. And those are big names. So it was a cute scene. And I liked how there's a moment where she tells her, son, it's like she's teaching her son how to be a villain. She's like, I let you do the explosion. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I do wonder if, you know, this is, this goes way back to the beginning of Adam Eve. So we're talking what, 13, 14, or I guess however old she is now with Mark. Yeah. So we're talking, she's 19 ish or so. So 19 years no, ago. No, she's, she's in high school. Well, it, going back to th that scene is like when she's being born that day. Yeah, my bad. So, so yeah, right. Gotcha. I'm wondering if the Lizard League will reappear or not, but I just feel like with those big names, why would you do that just to have them there for three lines of dialogue each or something? Well, I mean, I think it's the same thing that goes along with like Scream having Drew Barrymore in that opening scene and then spoiler alert. She gets offed in that opening scene. No now way. Her, no, well, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Kidding. Just trying to be respectful to our audience who may not be as 30 years the, old. The yeah, statute right. of limitations is up. Yeah, right. But I don't think it's the the same intent where she's Drew Barrymore's like on the cover and you're like, oh, big name. But it's kind of like Emilio Estevez in Mission Impossible. You know, he's a known star. I think to a lesser extent, Someone who's not looking at the cast list isn't necessarily going to notice a voice unless it's really distinct, like Lance Reddick. I didn't notice those famous names or famous actors, at least not by their voices. Whereas like a John Hamm, 
I'm going to I'm going to notice. And by the way, to to your point, John Hamm hasn't shown up since episode two of this. Like he has not made a another appearance as that guard. And so I think for my theory is that you've got a show that's really popular and that has made a made a name for itself in the comic book form. And potentially you've got Kirkman who is inviting these folks on to be like, hey, you want to you want to be a part of this? And like, absolutely. And so maybe more of it's a it's a favor and you just you want to be a part of a project as opposed to being part of this long term thing. But who knows? I think you make a great point that maybe this Lizard League crew is going to show up again at some point. I don't think there's any indication that they would. But much like we saw at the end of this first season, pretty much nothing was resolved besides Nolan. And even that wasn't necessarily resolved. So we have a lot of chaos leading into season two. And if there is any kind of negative that I'm going to nitpick about this, it's that we've gotten introduced to yet another set of villains that really don't have a start, middle, finish. They have a start and a whatever. <laughs> so it's just we're expanding that villain universe uh, exponentially. And you do you, Kirkman, but I'm not necessarily crazy excited about adding more to the uh, to the fold there. Yeah, the villains don't seem to be the focus in this. And I think that's sort of something that sets Invincible a little bit apart from its peers is because Mm -hmm. so many comic books and comic book series are heroes versus villains. And that's not the story of Invincible. Story of Invincible is the internal strife and drama that the heroes are dealing with in various ways. And the villains are sort of just kind of, that's the day job. So they show up sometimes and they have to be dealt with, but they're not the point of the drama like they are in most superhero shows, movies, yeah. comic books, whatever. Yeah. I like the opening sequence because, as you said, we get a little bit of the Guardians of the Globe. Sans, was it Night, Night, not Nightwing, but whatever the Batman equivalent was, like apparently he's out on leave or something like that. I also love the fact that they allude to, uh, to Nolan's character <laughs> as the like B squad. I'm sure we're fine. But I called in the reservists just in case. Really? Don't let him hear you call him that. I thought that was pretty fantastic. And I love the little comments they make. Like apparently he's had an older suit. Like this is a newer one, the one that we're used to. He had an all white suit at one point. Yeah, the tailor said it wasn't iconic enough. Apparently, everyone's running around with a big letter on their chest these days. Is that what this is? Lots of good banter while they're fighting. I think it it speaks to not only the tone, but the the culture of where the superheroic uh, relationships were at that time, 13, 14 years ago. And so we get a little bit of a peek into this relationship. I would imagine, unless it's going to get fleshed out in season two, that we'll get a few more uh, maybe we'll get some more stories about the relationship between the Guardians and Nolan leading up to that, because there there was a relationship. It appeared to be like we got a little glimpse of it at the opening of this. But I like seeing that kind of um, hint at what we sort of got the tail end of at the beginning of season one, where he was reluctant to come in and help rescue them. Whereas in here, they had a little bit more of a chummy relationship. Yeah, I would agree. I, be- I bet we're going to get more as to that. I think it's interesting to find out how he goes from okay with being part of this team to changing his mind to the point where he's like, no, I know I'm supposed to be the only Viltrumite and I'm going to wipe them out. There there has to be a point where that mental decision is made and there has to be build up to that decision being made. And 
probably struggle uh, along the way. And I'd really, I'd really enjoy seeing some of that as well. I like some of the reveals in this episode pertaining to, to Eve. First of all, I didn't know that her adopted father, first of all, she was adopted, which I, I guess I under, I knew that sort of, I don't remember knowing that I don't, but I felt much better about hating him now. What? Because I actively disliked that guy, if you remember. I was like, I did not like her dad. He's treated her like a jerk. And that doesn't change, man. Yeah, no. He's been doing it her whole life. And now I, now I just don't even like him anymore. And I don't have to feel bad about disliking him because it's not even a real dad. Right. So he can kick rocks. Exactly. He ate her birthday cake, man. Are you serious right now? Dude. I could not believe that. I was like, are you kidding me? So uncool, man. And he's still mad at Like, where have you been? Like, you ate my cake? Oh. Are you kidding me? I didn't know his name was Adam. Like the dad's name is Adam. And so the the irony of I get why she she explains. I totally missed that. Yeah, she explains why she's called Adam Eve. She's like, you know, Adam, duh. Like, and she looks at herself and then and then Eve's my middle name. And he's like, Well, that's really creative, Adam Eve. He's like, Well, no, creative is what my suit is. This is ultra cool. Like <laughs> her attitude about it's great. But I thought maybe there's some subconscious thing about naming your you know, your first name after your dad. I don't think that's the case, but I thought it was kind of funny, a little coincidental that the guy that is her domestic enemy is sort of her namesake as well. No, I, I wasn't expecting the, the old switcheroo where her mom dies giving birth. And then she is sort of swapped for this baby that apparently died after her adopted parents give birth. But I also picked up the fact that I don't think they ever know that she's not their daughter. Like, I don't think it's ever revealed that that she's adopted by them. As far as I could tell, no. The scene itself does not say, hey, here's a different baby. That yeah. We would like you to take care of. It's just like, here's your child. Like she so, came back to life. It's a miracle. That, yeah. <laughs> like who's in on this lie right now? <laughs> is, the, is the nurse in on this? Because it, it's not, I don't think that's cool. I don't think it's cool to do a baby swap and then just be like, it's not like you killed a fish like of your kids and you have to go to the pet store and like replace it. It doesn't work that way. And clearly like <laughs> you could just summarize that, that Eve's life was built on lies pretty much because of the fact that, you know, I mean, she was an experiment. So there's a lot wrong about everything that, that was going on. Her mom was homeless and yeah. like taken off the street and like used as a surrogate to create a super baby. Like what the heck is going on? Yeah. I, and we'd, we didn't ever know exactly who it was, but the the Lance Reddick character, Erickson, which, yeah. by the way, the moment I heard his voice, I got sad again. Mm-hmm. I guess we're probably going to run out of that happening here before too long because he couldn't. Have, but I feel like he must have recorded so many different things that I keep seeing him in movies and hearing him in shows. And yeah, I just I realize how much I absolutely love that guy. You know, he's wearing a pin that looks something like a an American flag or some sort of a a national flag, but there's no other indication of like, is he a the government? I, I, that's what would my assumption would be. I would put him in the same classification of our main character, our main sort of our Scarface main dude. I think he's in the same, I think it's government related, but at the end it's all moot because she basically wipes, she does a little men in black thing where she wipes their memory where they can't remember anything. But I think that he was part of that whole underground with government. Cecil? Cecil, thank you. Yeah, I think I think mm-hmm. he's sort of interconnected with Cecil, although we never see Cecil. But I think he's a 
I think he's like a gen one of what Cecil does where Cecil's more of an evolved, we're going to cooperate with the superheroes, but I've got this kind of thing that I, I have a suspicion about this guy, Nolan, or this, this guy, Omni-Man. Well, the resemblance between Cecil and the guy that got Adam Eve out of the experiment yeah. lab and then followed her around forever was incredibly strong. And I kept wondering if there was something to be a tie-in between those two characters. I don't know why else they would look both with long scraggly white hair I, it just feels like a strange not like a normal hairstyle uh, yeah and so i was curious about that mm, i think kirkman just likes disheveled looking characters i think that's what <laughs> let's just get maybe yeah he does like this guy's meant to be he's meant to depict be depicted as homeless when he's following her around <laughs> and if you watch it's it's a little bit on the nose as far as like the way that he depicts the homelessness both the woman and then this guy that's following her around, if you I actually noted this, that his pants have like these big splotches on them. So it's clearly yeah. he's going for the like, hey, he has really dirty clothes, so he's homeless like he's not. And I, I don't know. It was it was interesting. Let's make it obvious. <laughs> Let's make it really obvious if we can. We don't want to make him look like an underground government agent. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's very, very interesting that I got a few kind of Last of Us vibes where you have this woman who's pregnant and then she delivers this baby who has special powers. And I put that in air quotes and that would be one thing that would be really like, that's an interesting thing that she is an experiment, but she's the perfect experiment that then gets deviated from because then we meet quote phase two, phase three, phase four. And I think phase five, we meet four other characters that look more and more decrepit as the phases go on. And that was weird. And the first time I watched this, I was like, Oh, this is pretty amazing. And to see how she reacted to that, like, Oh my gosh, for them to call her their family and sisters. I didn't make that connection until we get that third reveal that her mom is still technically alive, though living in this, chamber of fluid and that what's been happening is while she was naturally given birth to these other three were essentially like being pulled from mom's biology and she's been like a like a little cadaver i guess it's really weird and interesting all at the same time and that was probably the biggest like shock for me in this is like that your origin story is that you're you're actually not special you're actually the hundred percent perfect, like no mistakes experiment it almost worked backwards. It wasn't like you had imperfection all the way to perfection. The fact that it worked backwards was a really interesting concept to me. Yeah, no, I agree. Like that's unique. We don't see that. We've seen many stories where it's like, Oh, I'm the new iteration of the thing. I'm the, the newest version and therefore I am stronger. And she's like, wait, I'm better than all of you. <laughs> and that's very weird. And they just get worse and worse and worse as they go along. It's almost like as the longer they try and keep this mom alive and use her to create these test tube experimental super powered things, it just gets worse and worse because it's like a, it's like degrading as they go. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was fascinating. And I, I thought that fight scene was exceptional. I, just enjoyed it so much from start to finish the way that she sees this big crash 
on the freeway and she's at the end of, she's already gone through her little origin kind of story moment, which we can talk about, but she is like, I'm going to go fight crime. And she's like flying now. And she zips down there and there's these guys things. Right. And it's just a great fight. She gets cut and she bleeds. She discovers that she can heal herself. She is able to like do some green lantern type stuff where she creates this armor around herself and where she like makes a ramp to save one of the cars. And she has to navigate traffic during a brawl. And then also like, save the humans from dying in the midst of like this giant wreck. It's just, it was incredibly dynamic and exciting and well shot. I don't know. I thought it was a really good central action set piece for this episode. Yeah. I got, I got Spider-Man vibes because it was happening. Very at, Spider-Man. Yeah. At, at ground level. She was, you know, saving people by, you know, stretching out and, and, you know, rescuing them from falling and things like that. Good. But, um, but yeah, I thought you said it best. Dynamic is how you probably describe that fight sequence and the, even the deaths of these kids, it was just really gnarly how they're just getting run over and splat, you know, and you could just feel how brittle their bodies were. And yet they have this conscience, uh, especially phase two, who's, who's the only one who's able to speak cohesively to her, how he's arguing with her, like how in the world would you want to save this guy who was responsible for all this other stuff referring to the um, long haired dude. I think that it gives her a little crisis of conscience because it makes her realize, Oh my gosh, I do have family. And this is sort of an undertone. I think this is the one thing that was a little underbaked for me for the episode was this idea of like, who's my real family. It's a nice moment at the end where she's arguing with her parents. It's after the premature cake eating by her dad, where she runs upstairs and she, changes the picture that says my family from she and her adoptive parents to what she would consider, I guess, versions of these children. So I thought like, okay, I guess in her mind, this is what she pictures them looking like. Cause there's no way that she would know what phase five looks like with, <laughs> without looking all like zombie, like, or even her mom to an extent. So I think that it's a cool idea. And I think that that's something that I would love to see, have a punch in season two for her when there's some family stuff that might happen between her and her, her mom, her mom and her dad. Maybe we get a little bit more of, of that fleshed out. But I, I thought that scene had a pretty good impact on recognizing that she's losing the people that she is the most connected to biologically. And then when she runs into her mom, when she finds out, Oh my gosh, my mom is technically still alive. Seeing her rage against these two guys where she just is like, I see it all now. Every single molecule around us. I could touch them, taste them, control them. I could rearrange yourselves to make you all new people from the monsters you are. You ruined my life. Took everything from me. Killed people I didn't even know I loved. I am Samantha Eve Welkin, and I defy you to even remember who I am. <clears throat> I thought that was fantastic how she just completely goes postal and causes them to, um, to lose their memories. And then she takes off and, and now we just have like a blank slate. I thought that was really good. Yeah. And it does, I think inform some of her character that we see in the show, as you were mentioning or asking at the beginning, because for example, when she takes off, she goes off to like do things on her own and she's very much like, 
established as someone who is maybe kind of a loner or at least comfortable being completely alone. She's living in her little tree house and we get the early scene here where when she's testing out her new powers, which is really fun, right? The parents don't understand her. Yeah. So they send her to this gifted school. It's, it's very like normal storyline there. But she's testing out her powers for the first time. I love the reluctance to take a bite of the burger she made, by the way. But she changes her <laughs> mayonnaise and no cream cheese and olive. First of all, I hate olives. I hate olives. And I was like, what is this concoction? And why would anyone ever eat this thing? This sounds disgusting to me. But she changes it into a burger smartly. And then she's like, I don't know what's going to happen. Should I try yeah. it anyway? But then she's continuing to test things. And she ends up scaring her friend Valerie off because her friend doesn't understand her and is not okay with the weird things that she's doing. I can see how that influences a lot of superheroes, especially when they're teenagers and they're growing up and they're trying to deal with this. You know, I think that's why stuff like X-Men Academy is such a big deal, the school for gifted children, where they can come and be with other people like themselves instead right. of growing up independently and having to deal with it uh, and make do and just kind of figure it out as they go. Yeah. That would be really hard. Right. Well, and the discovery of her powers is so layered. It, it's not like Mark, where he just, he knows his powers should be there and then one day he gets them. And we're just like, okay, here. I think that was a criticism that you had for that first episode, which is we don't linger a little bit on the fact that he has powers. And I think the argument is that he was expecting them and then he got them and then he practiced with them. I like the fact that Eve gets her powers, but they they're inspired by or motivated by the fact that she has this really great intellect and that's shown off. I love that little montage where she's playing with Lego and she makes molecules. And then it's sort of accented by her babysitter who has to study for a chemistry test and she ends up basically tutoring him. I like the fact that she doesn't come across as like a 10 year old brain where she's using language that a 10 year old shouldn't use. Like she's on Dawson's Creek or something, but like she explains it in a very 10 year old way when she talks about the different, like why does mercury turn liquid uh, when it's around other solids? And she gives a great kind of 10 year old explanation. Balance electrons. Huh? Mercury's 6S found subshell has two electrons. 6S electrons don't like being friends with other particles. To be a solid, they gotta bond. And they don't wanna. So, liquid. <laughs> Mercury's funny. That informs how she's able to do what she is. And I think one of the interesting things about her powers, and I don't know if this gets negated at the end of the episode, so maybe you can help clarify, but at one point, the doctor who is uh, who's helping her says, yeah, I put a sub essentially a subconscious thing in your brain that prevents you from actually altering living matter. And she tries that, right? She tries to change the squirrel into a dog at one point. And we're like, well, why can't you do that? Why you, know, you can change this cream cheese and olive sandwich into a burger. Why can't you do that? And that gets explained. But when she is able to convince Erickson and Brainyworth with this big sonic boom, essentially that they forget everything. I don't know that that alters their, their physical state. Maybe it just changes their brain a little bit. So maybe she still 
that's her limitation. I thought that was a really cool limitation to to her powers that she she's not all powerful. She has all these gifts, but there's one thing that she can't do. And I thought that's a very smart thing to do. If you're creating a superhero, it's good to have that limitation for her. Yep, I agree. I thought that was a really cool little extra nod there, just the whole making her not be able to arrange, rearrange organic matter. Uh, that was a neat way to limit the powers as well. Um, I like how the dogs come into play a couple times too. But the, one of the my favorite moments is when we get the classic teenage superhero first time makes her own suit with the hoodie out in town. Got to have the hoodie. Yeah, goes out in town and tries to figure out what they're <laughs> going to do and fight crime montage, right? And yeah. it's a big deal to me cuz she's protecting dogs, which I thought was great. I got Absolutely. really upset when I heard this this criminal's like nobody likes dogs anyway and I was like, "Excuse me, you <laughs> jerk face." Like, I hope she gets And then when she lands, ah, what the hell? Dude, I think it's a power pump girl. Shut up. You shut up. Both of you shut up. Yeah, and I I got busted out laughing that. And then she ends up fighting a villain after that. And there's just more of this show's great dialogue that I think every episode, there's so many of these lines. And he goes, The name's Kill Cannon, not gets beat up by little girls, Cannon. <laughs> just like, they're just the best, like yeah. the absolute best dumb lines that come out in this show. And of course, you know, she gets the better of him and stuffs his cannon and it backfires on him. Yeah. Uh, but I enjoyed the the sequences of her kind of going through those initial experimental phases of learning her powers and interacting with other people with them. Yeah. And I, and I like the way that she explains how she's able to do what she does, especially to her friend where it's such a great little moment where she's like, all right, just give me a couple of things and watch. And so I think her friend gives her a stick of gum and a quarter. And again, the creativity is on full display. She changes like a, I guess it's like a winter mint piece of gum or a spearmint to cherry or something. And then she changes the quarter from whoever's on it to her. Like, look, it's, it's president Eve and all this good stuff. And I, I think it's cool because she's very much wanting to share this with someone. And I, I appreciate at least at the time at the, in the moment, how, her friend sort of responds to it, very honest. And I also see how, like any friend, she would freak out because Eve just kind of leans into it a little too much, enough to push her friend away, and it leads to some some separation. So I think that creates a little bit of um, PTSD for her where she's reluctant to to share that. I think that's why she's connected to Mark the way she is because she understands that you know sharing that you need to be honest, you need to be open, but be smart about that. So some of that informs how how she and Mark are able to talk to each other and 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 stay connected with each other. But I also enjoy the progression as you mentioned to her being able to craft things. I, I like the surfing approach where she has a disc and she flies around. Now, she's evolved that was when we very get to, cool. Yeah. She's evolved when we get to season one to where she just uses the, I guess, the propulsion of her arms and the power that comes from her arms to be able to to fly. And it got me asking the question, which I'm going to go ahead and answer an emphatic yes in this universe. Who has the coolest superpower? Well, it's her because it's so varied and because she can do so much with it. I'm of the persuasion that a great superpower is one that you can use both offensively and defensively. And I think that Eve has a combination of these. I think that it's what 
makes her really interesting. Unless you're just invincible or unless your name is Omni-Man, where you're just going to brute force your way into victory, hers fits her personality and her profile because of the fact that she's elegant, that she is delicate, that she has this flighty way of being. And I mean that in the most positive way. I'm not using maybe the correct words, but I think it makes sense for her to have those powers. If Mark had those powers or if Rex had those powers, I don't think it would translate as well because of the fact that it requires intelligence to use them. Like she has to think about these things in order to make them happen. And it's not like Green Lantern who has a ring and who can just think of something. Like it really takes mental prowess to be able to turn a sandwich into a burger or to make your treehouse into something what it is in season one, for example. Wonderful point. I completely agree with you. And I think that's why I gravitate toward superheroes like Spider-Man and Batman, because like her, they have to have some intelligence involved in what they do. Mark is not exceedingly smart by any metric that we've seen. He just punches things hard. Like you said, he he goes fast <laughs> and he's really strong and he has these abilities but they doesn't they don't require that intelligence. I love the way you you put that. Yeah. I mean, we see how dumb Mark is in this episode. Like Mark <laughs> is doing some very different things with his life, which I think I probably did myself actually. <laughs> I think at one point it feels memorable to me. Yeah. You bring that up. I wanted to ask you the the episode is not without its own little stinger, the what we would call the mid-credits, the the Marvel moment. What did you think of this in terms of its place in the episode? Unnecessary and just silly. Uh, it was fine. It was, I felt like it was almost, well, we've got this episode of Invincible and we literally called it Invincible, Adam Eve. Maybe we should put that dude in here somewhere. Uh, so let's just do this gag. I thought it was cute to show a little bit of a difference between the life that they grew up with. And that, that is the point of it. Right. In my opinion, we've seen Samantha and she goes through this insane childhood where she's not, you know, got parents that they don't even know that she's not theirs. And like, she's learning her powers and trying to figure it all out and fighting crime and all this stuff. And Mark is wrapping himself in duct tape, pretending to be a superhero <laughs> waiting impatiently for these things that he is. It's almost like he's, the, the British royalty because he's entitled to them. Like he's, yeah. they come automatically to him by birth, right? It's a birthright. Whereas she's like learning and experiencing the world. And, and in, it shows when he does get his powers and she has already gone through all of this. Yeah. And I love that way. And then there's that weird thing with Omni-Man. It's like, a so his face shows, in my opinion, signs of sadness and anger kind of mm -hmm. oscillating and the best read on it I could get was that it is perhaps him being torn between this sweet relationship with his family and this child and knowing that ultimately the goal here is going to be when he does get his powers, it will all change yeah. and it can't last in the way that, it exists now that I don't know. That was my read on it. And that's great. I completely agree with you though. I almost think that this moment usurped the whole episode because we spend 54 minutes with Eve falling in love with her and feeling sorry for her. 
And then we get reminded, oh yeah, this isn't about her. This is about Mark. And I'm like, give her an episode, please. Like we just had 10 episodes, eight to 10 episodes where Mark's dealing with all his trauma. We don't need to see this cute moment where we're reminded that Nolan's a jerk and that, yes, he's got his own demons he's dealing with. It was consistent. Like it wasn't anything like out of the ordinary. But when I saw that, where was Mark doing all this? I said, I don't care. (laughs) I know where he was. He was being a kid. I don't need to know that he was wrapping himself in duct tape as cute as that was. We don't need to get the reinforcement of the fact that all the stuff that we already knew started even earlier. Okay. And so to me, I felt like it downplayed Eve's story a little bit because it almost felt like someone was kind of pouring their heart out to us as an audience. And then Mark's like, Hey, but, but remember, remember, remember the title? It's me. Right. (laughs) And it, and it, that entitlement that you mentioned of where he feels like he should get his powers. I think that was sort of metaphorically on display here where he couldn't even let one episode go by without him popping his face in or Nolan popping his face into it. I'm like, you don't need that. So if that was by design, then brilliant. If not, stupid let's let's keep it with eve let's let her have her own thing okay i wish okay before we finish just one other question do you see anything from this episode that you think might resurface in future seasons characters or things that have happened that that you either want to see revisited or that you think could have an impact since we haven't seen season two yet uh the lizard people uh what a lizard league i I do think it would be smart to bring them back at some point that could be fun yeah other than that, I honestly don't. I think that the way they wrapped it up with Eve kind of was probably intentional in that mm-hmm. we're going to tell this self-contained origin story. And I really appreciate that. I don't need her having this lingering past that is going to continue to be a problem because as much as I love her, like this is the invincible story. And I would rather stay focused on there's plenty to deal with there and let her deal with her modern issues, which she did in the main season. And I'm sure she will have more of as well as she grows up and goes through experiences. So I'm pretty convinced that it's not going to really bleed over much. I think it feels like a one shot, like you said. Yeah, I don't disagree. If there was any selfishness in my heart for anything that would carry over, it would be Erickson. I, I would love to have seen Lance Reddick kind of reprise his role maybe being part of Cecil's crew, like coming back, having that wiped memory and maybe having a moral conscience, having being a good guy or at least a questionable good guy with gray altruistic motives. I would love to have seen that, but obviously with Reddick's passing, that's probably not going to happen. But even if if not, uh, even if he hadn't passed, it would be interesting to see maybe Erickson pop up here and there. But, but I agree with you. I think the story's been told. There's nothing that necessarily needs to be added to or taken away from and with the exception of the little stinger at the end i think it's it's a great start middle end for uh for her character absolutely cool man well thanks for coming back for this one shot episode uh listeners we hope you've enjoyed this as much as we have and that will officially do it for our coverage of invincible season one plus one I've said it before, but we will be back for season two at some point. In the meantime, be on the lookout for another series celebrating the world of long-form storytelling. Until then, I'm Patch. He's Aaron. We are out of here.